Christ here. I want to begin with a question, something for you to think about. Have you ever been entrusted with a responsibility that was really over your head? A responsibility that was probably people putting a little bit too much faith in you. A responsibility that you really weren't ready for. When I was 16 years old, I got a job working for an escrow company. And I was a courier for this escrow company. So I drove my car, delivered. For those of you that are young and you don't know about this, once upon a time, back in the day, we had a thing called paper. And we used to, it's like, you know, wood pulp smashed together. Ask your grandparents, they'll explain it. Anyways, we had paper and everything was typed up on a typewriter and we couldn't send things electronically. We couldn't sign documents electronically. So every escrow company would hire a courier whose job it was just to go back and forth with really important papers, get them signed, pick things up, drop things off, all of that kind of stuff during escrow. That's what I did. I drove my own car and at the end of the month, they would not only give me my paycheck, but they would give me a check to cover all of the gas and mileage and all of that kind of stuff. And I drove my own car. Well, I'm 16 years old. It's the end of the month and I am broke. I have spent all my money. I don't have any money in my wallet. It's the last day before payday and my car is like an eighth of a tank. And at the end of the day, when I'm thinking, I, fi I made it, it's going to be okay, my boss comes to me and says, I have an emergency, I need you to work late, I need you to take care of this one more thing. Now, I worked in South Orange County, and they said, we need you to go to Thousand Oaks, and we need you to get this paper signed, pick this thing up, and bring it back to us. Well, I get in my car and take off. I look at the gas gauge and I think there's no way I can make this. Now, I didn't have an ATM card. I didn't have a credit card. I didn't have a penny to my name. There might have been a nickel in the ashtray. That was about it. And I didn't have enough gas. So what did I do? Hey, I was a Christian. I prayed. I prayed, God, somehow multiply the gas like you multiplied fish and loaves, right? And I took off for Thousand Oaks and kept watching that gas gauge get lower and lower. And I said, Lord, if you just get me there, I promise you, I will humble myself and ask someone there to loan me five bucks so I can just get enough gas to get back. Just please get me there. So when I got there, I ran out of the courage to ask somebody. I thought, well, God got me this far. Maybe he'll get me home. And what they handed me was an envelope. And in that envelope was a negotiable note for $78,000. So I'm now carrying $78,000 that is the same as cash. It's completely negotiable note. And I've got it in, in this little briefcase that I carry. I get back in my car and I take off. Well, guess what happened? On my way back. Yes, you're a genius. I ran out of gas. So I pull over on the 405 freeway. And I'm on the side of the freeway. And I'm thinking, what do I do? So I grab this briefcase. And I start walking to try to get to the off-ramp. Right about that time, this guy nicely pulls over. I'm so thankful. He rolls down the window. Hey, do you want to ride? Yes, I need a ride. I jump in his car. He takes off, merges back into traffic. I look over at him, and he has got an open bottle of alcohol sitting between his legs, and he is drinking while he drives. And suddenly I realize this guy bears a strange resemblance to Charles Manson, and he is carrying this bottle of alcohol, and I am in his car, and I got $78,000 
basically in cash with me. And so I said to the guy, you know what? I was thinking I could use the exercise. Why don't you go ahead and pull over and I'll walk the rest of the way. He said, suit yourself. And he let me get out and walk. I walked, got off the freeway, called, got to a payphone, called my mommy, collect. And she came and brought me some gas and saved the day. All of this to tell you, I was 16 and irresponsible. Nobody should have trusted me with $78,000. But they did. I guess my boss wasn't very wise. But what surprises me is that God, who, by the way, is very wise. I don't know if you know that about him. God, who is very wise, actually trusts you and me with even more than that. Some of you parents know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you know what it's like when they give you that first child and you think, um, I'm supposed to take this kid home? We, we're going to break this thing. We don't know what to do. I remember when my eldest, Lisa, was born. Like, we were so intimidated. I don't know. Christy was probably fine. I was totally intimidated. I didn't know what to do. I, I messed up those kids in so many ways. Uh, when, when Lisa was little, maybe, I don't know, a year or two old, um, I was trying to get her shoes on and her heel wasn't going all the way down. So what I did was this is a smart dad thing, right? I just picked her up by her wrist and this sort of pounded her feet on the ground to push that shoe on. And when I lifted her and then pounded her, she screamed. Imagine that. You know what I did? <laughs> I dislocated her elbow. Yeah, that's a brilliant parenting move. I hope I can't still get charged with a crime for that. But I did do that. I, I remember when Garrett was born, I finally had a boy. I'm like, all right, I could roughhouse. He was just a baby. And I used to throw him in the air and Christy would freak out. And this did not help our marriage, by the way. But I would take Garrett and just toss him in the air and I would laugh and toss him and catch him. And most of the time I caught him, I would just toss him and look up and laugh. And one time as I tossed him and I'm laughing with my mouth open, that kid barfed directly into my mouth. It, it was not the highlight of my life. And by the way, I've not forgiven him for it yet. Someday I find, you know, I'm going to be old one day and he's going to be responsible. It's going to be payback time. By the time Kimmy came along, she was our third. By the time she came along, it didn't take us very much time to figure out, this one's a little more fragile. She breaks all the time. So we basically wrapped her in bubble wrap all the time because whenever she wasn't wrapped in bubble wrap, we went to the emergency room. And that really hasn't changed now that she's an adult. So, so you know, you think about God trusts parents with that kind of responsibility. And I don't know about you as a parent, but me as a parent, I was not worthy of that trust. It's a big responsibility to care for a child. But there's something even more precious that God has entrusted to every one of his children, even though we're not really ready for it. He's entrusted us to be stewards of his love. He's entrusted us to be stewards of his story. We, he's entrusted us with the precious saving gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know if you've ever thought about where you stand in the timeline of God's people. I mean, go all the way back to like Abraham. You don't have to go as far as Noah. Just go back to Abraham um, 
and, and think about the, the links in the chain of God followers that has led to you being a Christ follower. Think about where you stand in that long, long line. And if God has blessed you with the gift of his love, if God has blessed you with his amazing grace for salvation, then he has also entrusted you, yes, you, with the responsibility of passing on that incredibly valuable legacy to others. So I want to give you um, an example or two of this. Let's start with a guy named Timothy. You've probably heard of Timothy. There's a couple of Bible books named after him. In fact, open your Bible to the New Testament to the book of 2 Timothy. It's very, very easy to find because it's right after 1 Timothy. So find 1 Timothy, turn to the right, you'll get to 2 Timothy. And I want you to join me in 2 Timothy chapter 1. And let's just pick it up. This is Paul addressing his letter to this young guy, Timothy, who is now pastoring the church at Ephesus. And Paul is writing to him as his mentor to kind of give him some advice about ministry. Here's what he says. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience, the way my forefathers did, as I constantly remember you in my prayers both day and night. So I, I, I love you, Timothy. I'm proud of you. I'm praying for you every day, every night. I'm lifting you up to the Lord. Verse 4. Longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful, verse 5, for I am mindful of the sincere faith within you. Now this is the part I want you to catch. Which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and of love and of discipline. Timothy was the recipient of this faith legacy. Paul calls himself the, uh, Timothy's father in the faith. He calls Timothy his beloved son. But he doesn't just say that. He also says, you know, you had this godly grandmother who taught you about the love of God. So we know that Timothy's father was a Greek but his grandmother and his mother were Jews and they became Christ followers. I know that this legacy was passed down from your grandmother, Paul says, to your mother and from your mother to you and I am now building into you as my son in the faith. So there's this link in the chain, right? And that blessing that Timothy received, it comes with an intimidating responsibility, Look at verses 6 through 8 with me. For this reason I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying out of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity but of power and love and discipline. Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me his prisoner. But join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God. Does this... 
Does this start to ring a bell? Do you remember last week we looked at Joshua and we talked about being strong and courageous? That's basically what Paul is saying to Timothy. Hey, hey, Timothy, don't forget what God has done for you. Don't forget the legacy that has been passed down to you. And don't be afraid to share that legacy with others moving forward. You're just a link in a chain. Be strong. Be courageous. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. I don't know if you realize this because everything's been so messed up with uh, the, the world's schedule, but uh, the 2020 Olympics are actually supposed to take place here in 2021. What that means is that right now, somewhere in the world, somebody's carrying the Olympic torch. And you've seen this before. You know how this works. We've had the Olympics here in uh, Southern California. You know how this works. There's this perpetual flame. They light a torch and then it goes from one torch carrier to the next, to the next, to the next. And it travels from the last city to the next city. That's what's going on right now. People are carrying that flame. That's what God has called us to do with the gospel. There's this flame, this life in Christ and we received it as someone handed it off to us and he calls us to carry it forward and hand it off to somebody else. See, I'm concerned that at this stage of the game, too many church leaders are tempted to take a whole different approach to ministry. See, God's called us to make disciples who make disciples. But too many of us in the church, and, I, and I'm just talking to me and my fellow church leaders, too many of us think that, you know, it's really about putting on a good enough show, offering enough impressive programs that people just have to come, and then you draw a big crowd and your church grows, and then you can build more buildings and hire more staff so you could put on more programs and have an even more impressive show so you could build more buildings. And when you do that, you become successful. And I'm not knocking that. I, I believe that there are many churches that are growing and flourishing in that kind of way because God is blessing them because they're faithfully making disciples. But what I'm saying is there's this temptation to make it about that and to consider it success when the crowd gets big. But think about this. What does Jesus call success? What did Jesus charge us to do in the Great Commission? Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. He's called us to make disciples, not build crowds. He's called us to make disciples, not build buildings. It's not that crowds are bad. It's not that buildings are bad. It's that the point is the disciples. And a disciple, by definition, is one who is able to make disciples. So the chain can continue on. Nothing you have to give your kids is more valuable than the gospel. Every parent feels a responsibility to try to figure out a way to hand something down to our kids, right? We, we want to we give them an education. We save up in a college fund. We want to be able to hand down our house to them. We want to we give them some sort of inheritance of money or something like that. Listen, uh, this may come as a shock to my children who are listening to this, but my kids are not likely to get rich based on what I hand down to them. But I'll tell you this. If they walk with Jesus for the rest of their lives, 
because their mother and I poured into them the love of Jesus Christ, set the example for them, shared the gospel with them, trained them up in the way they should go and discipled them. If they are disciples who can make disciples, if they are doing the same with their children, then they will have inherited something far, far greater than the children of, you know, Bill Gates is going to inherit. I want you to think for a moment about your spiritual legacy. Who has God used to bring you to this point in your life where you're a follower of Jesus? Who has God used to influence your walk with God so you're growing in maturity and wisdom and stature in the Lord? You know what? Make it a regular practice to thank God for them. And let me just encourage you to do this too. Thank them. If they're still around, maybe fire off a text. Thanks for the investment you made in me. Maybe buy them lunch. Hey, I just wanted to tell you, the Lord has reminded me of the influence you've had in my life. I'm so grateful that you were faithful to pass the torch. But as you think of that, think about this too. What's the next link in the chain? Who are you building into? Who is it that when their pastor says, hey, think about who it is that has influenced you, would think of you? Who are you currently influencing for Jesus? Who are you being an example for? Who are you sharing the gospel with? Who are you helping to become a more faithful disciple of Jesus Christ? What will be the legacy that you leave behind? When people look at you, do they see Christ more clearly? Or is it possible that the view of you is actually obscuring the, the view of Christ? Last week, we talked about Joshua, right? And, and we saw that God challenged him to be strong and courageous. When we left him, he was on the other side of the Jordan River looking across at the fortified cities and God was giving him a pep, pep talk about being strong and courageous. He was about to take the torch from Moses. He's really taking it in that moment. Now... God says, it's time to actually muster that courage. It's time to actually muster that strength because you're going to lead these people across the river. So I want you to just leave a marker, a finger or something in 2 Timothy. We're going to come back there for a in a second. But I want you to go back to the Old Testament book of Joshua. And in Joshua, we're going to look at Joshua chapter 3. It's right before Judges in your Old Testament. Go to Joshua chapter 3. And pick it up with me in verse 7, okay? Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. You shall moreover command the priests who are carrying the Ark of the Covenant, saying, When you come to the edge of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Then Joshua said to the sons of Israel, Come here and hear the words of the Lord your God. Joshua said, by this, shall, by this you shall know that, you are, that, you're, um, that the living God is among you and that he will assuredly dispossess from before you the Canaanite, the Hittite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Girgashite, the Amorite, the Jebusite, and all the other Zites. 
Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is crossing over ahead of you into the Jordan. Now then, take for yourselves 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one man for each tribe. It shall come about when the soles of the feet of the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan will be cut off, and the waters which are flowing down from above will stand in one heap. Can you picture this? Here's what he's saying. He's saying, I want the priests to carry the Ark of the Covenant and I want them to literally walk into the Jordan River. And later in the passage, we're told that it is the time of year when the river is overflowing its banks. It is a rushing river. It is a huge river. And it's overflowing its banks. And God says, I want them to take the Ark of the Covenant. I want them to walk right into the water. And when they get in the water, the water will stop flowing. He doesn't say, wait till the water stops flowing and then cross. They actually have to trust him and obey him before they see the miraculous. Now look at verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan and the feet of the priests carrying the ark were dipped in the edge of the water, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of the harvest. The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap a great distance away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those who were... Um, and, and those which were flowing toward, down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. So the people crossed opposite Jericho. And the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firm on dry ground in the middle of the Jordan while all Israel crossed on, on dry ground until the nation had finished crossing the Jordan. Wow! What an incredible experience! Can you imagine seeing God do the miraculous right before your eyes? Well, if you had been walking with the Lord for any length of time at all, let me tell you something. You have seen the Lord do the miraculous. You have watched him do things that only he can do. You have a story to tell about his faithfulness and his goodness and his righteousness and his power in your life because you've seen it as you've trusted him. So let me ask you this. Have you forgotten? Do you still talk about the incredible things God has done to change your heart, to change your life, to change your circumstances? Where God has provided for you, where God has healed you, where he's encouraged you, where he's guided you. I always love telling the story of Grace Fellowship because the story of Grace Fellowship is the story of God's power. I love, don't get me started. Ask me, if you ask me, hey, what's it been like being at this church for the last 30 some years? You better sit down because I got some stories to tell. God has been amazing. It's been his story. It's been miraculous provision over and over and over again. And every time I think about that, I'm encouraged. I'm reminded that we serve a God who is faithful. And I want to pass that legacy on to other people. So how can you make sure that you always remember and that you pass on that legacy to others? Look at Joshua chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Now, when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, 
one man from each tribe, and commanded them, saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, and from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called the twelve men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. Uh, and Joshua said to them, Cross again to the uh, ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, What do these stones mean to you? Then you shall say to them, Because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Thus the sons of Israel did as Joshua commanded and took up the 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel, and they carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down there. They created a monument that lasted a long time, so that in the generations to come, people would say, what's this monument all about? And they could tell them about the faithfulness of their God and pass on the legacy to the generations to come. I don't know if you've ever been to Washington, D.C., but there's a lot of monuments there. And everyone is supposed to remind us of something. They remind us of a president. They remind us of a war. They remind us of an accomplishment. They remind us of freedom, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness, all of that kind of stuff. And when you go there, you are reminded what it is to be an American and what it means to have freedom and the price that was paid for that freedom and how God has provided that. What are people reminded of when they see your life? When they hear your story, when they observe your behavior, your strength, your courage, your walk with God, what are they reminded of? Timothy was a link in a chain, but he wasn't the last link. I told you we're going to go back to 2 Timothy. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 and we'll close with this. 2 Timothy 2 beginning in verse 1. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He says, Timothy, you're the recipient of a legacy. And now you are the one who passes on the legacy. He reminds them of what it is to carry the torch. This is your calling as well. You have been handed a torch to carry. And it's a huge responsibility. But it's also a great privilege and a great honor. It will take strength. It will take courage. It will take faith. But you're not the last link in the chain. And so as you live out your legacy, God will use you to pass that legacy of faith onto others. What an honor. What a calling. What a legacy. It's my prayer that our lives will stand as a lasting monument as a memorial to the faithfulness and the greatness of our God. May that be true in your life and mine.
Father, we say thank you. Thank you for what you've done, not just in our lives, but in the ones who preceded us, in the links in the chain that are much further back in time than our link is. And we look forward to the links that you have coming after us. Oh God, won't you please consecrate us? Won't you please sanctify us? Won't you please make us a living monument to the grace, the glory, and the power of God that others might know you even as we do and they might also praise your holy name. For it's in that precious name that we pray. Amen.